You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. First Corinthians chapter 14, beginning to read at the first verse. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Hey, welcome to our church here in Geelong. This is our physical church, which we're not using for physical gatherings at the moment. But hey, so good to have you come today to visit our church digitally as together we come before God's holy word. Well, I love presents. I think most of us love presents. Kids really love presents. When the time for presents draws nearer, my, especially my younger kids, become insatiable about when the presents will arrive. They, they look eagerly forward to it moment by moment. They constantly nag us, so much so that I'm very sad to have to report that we've had to implement stage four in our house, stage four present restrictions. 
It's come to this, to the point now where we say there will be no discussions about presents until at least a month before the actual present giving occasion. Well, thankfully, God is not like us as parents. God's not into stage four restrictions on present giving. In fact, God tells us in His Word that He freely gives us what He calls spiritual gifts. And He urges us, He encourages us to eagerly seek those gifts. The very thought of the fact that God, our Heavenly Father, the Creator of the universe, wants to give us, wants to give you spiritual gifts is something that should fill us with excitement and joy. But maybe this is not your experience when it comes to this topic of spiritual gifts. It's possible that you've been told that, hey, hey, slow down. Uh, God used to give spiritual gifts to His people, the church in the New Testament and long ago, but those things don't happen anymore. His spiritual gift bag is now empty. Or maybe instead of disappointment about spiritual gifts, you actually come to the topic with fear or suspicion because you've seen people who claimed to be demonstrating spiritual gifts actually act in a way that has brought hurt and wounding and perhaps division. Spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul has spoken about them to us. He's already done that in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And now in chapter 14, he comes back to the topic and in verse 1, he says these words. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, there's some background here might be helpful. It seems that as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, there was no problem with spiritual gifts being demonstrated and used in their gatherings. In fact, it seems likely that a whole lot of people who had the gift of tongues were using that gift uh, over and over in the service to the point that other people were going like, what are they talking about? We don't understand anything. And were actually maybe encouraging Paul that he should ban the use of the gift of tongues altogether. Now, as we come to this uh, part of Scripture in chapter 14, I'm going to take it that Holy Scripture means what it seems to mean. That is that God has given spiritual gifts to His church, that those gifts are still to be used and we're still encouraged to seek Him for them. Now, obviously, this is a big topic and I'm not going to be able to cover everything in our time today. But what I want to do is try to look at what the text itself actually covers and that's Two particular spiritual gifts. Firstly, the gift of tongues. And secondly, the gift of prophecy. And then as I conclude the time together, I want want us to ask the question, what might it look like for us and for our churches to genuinely put into practice the command to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, and especially the gift of prophecy? So those three things. Firstly, first one, let's look at the first gift, the gift of tongues. Like most of the 22 different spiritual gifts that theologians believe are recorded in the New Testament, tongues is listed for us, but it's not defined. It could refer to the ability that we see at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on the church and people speak in other languages, human languages, that they didn't previously learn. It could be, perhaps, that tongues is an angelic language, a language spoken by angels, which which, um, people with the gift of tongues are supernaturally enabled to speak. Or it could be both of them. 
Uh, we really don't know. But what it does seem clear from the discussion in the New Testament, especially in 1 Corinthians, is that the, whatever is being spoken is not comprehensible to everybody else in the church unless there's a gift of an interpretation. As verse 2 says, for, for no one who speaks in a tongue speaks, for the one, sorry, who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Well, Paul tells us a few things about tongues in this passage, and let's go through them together. Firstly, and very importantly, he makes it clear that tongues is not an aberration or a human fabrication. Tongues is a good gift from a heavenly Father who delights in giving good gifts. Paul says in verse 4 that the tongue, using a tongue builds up the person who's using that gift. He says in verse 5, now I want you all to speak in tongues. And then verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And he sums up his argument in tongues in verse 39 by very clearly instructing the church this, do not forbid speaking in tongues. The gift of tongues is a, a good gift. Uh, I know personally many people who experience and use the gift of tongues. In fact, uh, this week in our staff meeting in Geelong, I asked the team, all right, here's a big question, who speaks in tongues? There's a bit of a, a silence and then some hands went up and some hands stayed down. Now, those who speak in the gift of tongues describe the fact that as they use that gift, they're not conscious of what they're saying or they're praying, but that God uses that gift to build them up, to come close to them, sometimes to bathe them in His presence and His love. Tongues is a good gift. Secondly, though, tongues, Paul's very clear, needs to be used selectively in the public gatherings of the church. This is because, as previously said, tongues itself is unintelligible without an interpretation. So, in one sense, it gives nothing positive to someone who's listening to someone else speak in tongues. And in fact, it can actually be very negative. It alienates people from the speaker. And worse, uh, Paul seems to say in verses 21 that tongues is a gift for an unbeliever. Then he goes on to say that when an unbeliever comes and actually hears the church all speaking in tongues, he goes, these people are mad. I mean, how is that a gift for an unbeliever? It seems because, as Paul quotes the Old Testament to, to demonstrate that these unbelievers come and they hear the speaking of tongues, which is a gift from God. It's God's divine action at work in His people, the church, and yet it leads them least people hear this to believe that this gift of tongues is just Christians going mad. And so in the end, what it does is confirms their alienation from God by calling madness a gift that God has given. That's a terrible thing. The gift of tongues is good, but it can be very negative. Uh, Paul says this when he sums up. He says, I'm glad I speak in tongues. He, he wants everyone to know that he speaks in tongues. It's important to remember that. But then verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Tongues is a good gift, needs to be used carefully. In our, for example, at City on a Hill, it's not really appropriate in our large Sunday gatherings. But it is appropriate in small groups, gospel communities, or perhaps prayer meetings especially when it can be interpreted. Thirdly, 
And this is also important. Not everyone has the gift of tongues. Now, why do I need to say this? Because over the years, there's been some real confusion on this. Uh, for many people who do speak in tongues, that gift is given to them at their conversion. God supernaturally saves them. He takes them from death to life. And as part of that, he gives them a, this supernatural language that often didn't ask or expect, but it, it comes. And so good is that. So good is the confirmation to these new Christians that, that sometimes they can, they can draw it out and say, if you don't have that same experience that I had, well, you're probably not saved. And you're certainly not filled with the Spirit. Now, while it's understandable why Christians who experience this gift could say it, it's not what the Bible says. The Bible clearly teaches that, that tongues as one of all, like all spiritual gifts, are given to various people as the Spirit apportions them. And directly, Paul asks in chapter 12, you might remember, he says, does everyone speak in tongues? And he's expecting the answer, no, of course not. Not everyone has all of the spiritual gifts, with the possible exception of the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. Fourthly, as you think about tongues, let's not forget last week. If you missed last week as we went through chapter 13, a wonderful sermon by Pastor Luke Nelson, we looked at the reality of what spiritual gifts are really all about. Chapter 12 and chapter 14 both talk about spiritual gifts, but the meat in the sandwich is chapter 13. And in chapter 13, Paul says, yeah, spiritual gifts are great. I'm going to teach on them, but they're really about love. Love, love is where it's at. If you've got all these gifts and you don't have love, you're nothing. You're a clanging gong, he says. It's worthless. So as we rethink about the gift of tongues, the gift of tongues is clearly one that edifies the person that uses it, but it's one that needs to be very carefully managed in how, how it builds up, how it loves the church. In verse 1 of chapter 14, Paul stresses, earnestly seek the way of love. So, do you speak in tongues? Let that linger a little bit. <laughs> do you speak in tongues? If you do, praise God that he's given you a good gift to use for your edification and for your building up. Use it. Be encouraged in it. Do you not speak in tongues? Don't worry, you're not somehow a lesser Christian. But I would encourage you, if you don't speak in tongues and you haven't before, ask him. Ask God for the gift that he may long to give you. Maybe he's just waiting for you to ask to give you that gift. So that's tongues. I know it's brief, there's a lot more to cover, but that is the gift of tongues. Now, secondly, Paul frames his discussion of tongues by comparing it to the gift of of prophecy. Verse 1 again, listen, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, but especially prophecy. What is prophecy? Well, prophecy is the only spiritual gift that is mentioned in every one of the lists given to us in Scripture. It's described as one of the greater gifts. Unlike tongues, which nearly always comes last, prophecy is nearly always in the first few gifts described. So what is it? Well, like tongues, it's not defined for us. What is clear, though, it's not the same as the prophetic ministry of the Old Testament, where prophets infallibly spoke the very words of God, which were recorded and come to us in Old Testament Scripture. We do know, though, what prophecy does. Verse 3 tells us, listen, 
The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Now, because that's what prophecy has done, some people have historically and today defined prophecy as expository preaching. Preaching from the Word of God, exactly what I'm trying to do now. And as an expository preacher, I got some sympathy with that view. Because what do I want to do as we come to the Scripture together and we, we open it and we submit ourselves to God? Well, I can tell you, I want you to be upbuilt. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be consoled. However, in the New Testament, prophecy and teaching are different gifts. The gift of teaching, especially to the gathered church, is the authoritative proclamation of the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures for the people of God. It's authoritative. Prophecy, on the other hand, seems to be more of a spontaneous revelation from God about a matter that could not otherwise be known. The theologian uh, Wayne Grudem, he puts it like this. He says, unless a person receives a spontaneous revelation from God, there is no prophecy. By contrast, no human speech act that is called a teaching or done by a teacher or described by the verb teach is ever said to be based on a revelation in the New Testament. Rather, teaching is often simply an explanation or application of Scripture. Well, why would Paul then consider prophecy such an important gift? Why would he go to the point of saying, look, seek all the spiritual gifts, especially this one? Well, the answer, I believe, is because of its extraordinary ability to build up the church in love. Let me give you a personal example, which perhaps will illustrate for you uh, what I mean. So the good question to ask is, what spiritual gifts do you have? I would say, if you ask me that question, that I have the gifts of leadership, encouragement, and perhaps evangelism. Now, that's not to say that all those gifts are equally well developed in my own life and ministry, but, or I haven't got room to grow in them, certainly do, but that when I operate in these areas, I, I feel God's pleasure. I feel His power working through me. It's like the sweet spot in my ministry. But I've been praying for the gift of prophecy for more than a year now. Why? Well, because, as I said before, prophecy if added to these gifts or given to me in any capacity, would hugely increase my ability to use my gifts in love for the building up of the church. Let's think, for example, of the, the leadership gift. Now imagine that God supernaturally revealed to me a group of people in our city, for example, of Geelong, who are longing to hear the gospel and that God inspired in my heart a, a supernatural uh, revelation that that's the ministry we need to launch into. That's the direction the church needs to go. How good would that be in loving people? Or maybe as in the book of Acts in chapter 13, maybe the gift of prophecy could be used to send out a missionary who God has their hand on and are waiting to be released such as it was with Paul and Barnabas in the church at Antioch. How powerful in love that would be. Or what have I said, the gift of encouragement? Um, as I've prayed for, for prophecy and the gift of encouragement as well to be manifested and grown in my life, I saw recently how, how helpful that could be. 
Uh, we were all in staff meeting um, some time ago now, and we were worshiping and we were praying. And, and I was asking God, I'm asking you for the gift of prophecy. Would you reveal to me the thoughts of someone's heart in this room so that they can, they can hear from you in a way that wouldn't be possible by just simply reading a passage of Scripture? And God, I felt, revealed to me that there was someone in the room who needed to hear a particular word. There was, there was thoughts of their hearts, which I felt he revealed to me, and, and I shared those thoughts, a bit fearfully, a bit hesitantly, and then I waited, okay, and nothing happened. I was like, well, Lord, I tried to listen. I wanted to be open, and I just obviously got it wrong, which I'll come to in a sec. Heard nothing until a couple of days ago. Uh, one member of the staff team who was aware um, that this week we'd be looking at the gifts of prophecy and tongues, he wrote this to me, he said, I'll never forget the prophecy that the Lord gave you, which has stuck with me. You said, I feel the Lord needs someone here to know that your story may not be the story you would have written, but it's the story that I have for you. I can't tell you how helpful this has been for me this year as I step into church planting. God used, imagine that gift of prophecy was given to those of us with gifts of encouragement more than that. That men and women would be encouraged in their faith. Or perhaps best of all, imagine that prophecy was added to that gift of evangelism that I, I feel I have and long to see grow more. Imagine that right now as I'm preaching to you, God reveals to me a word that I could never have known a revelation that I could never have otherwise experienced. Let's say that he reveals to me that you're sitting in Darwin right now, watching this service. You're wearing a red shirt. You've come off drugs recently. You're not a Christian, but a friend asked you to come to our service today and tune in. God wants you to know that he longs to save you. Now, that's example. If you're wearing a red shirt and you're in Darwin, take that from God, but, but this is just a, an illustration. It's an example. But imagine that was true. Imagine that you were the guy sitting in Darwin. You'd go, whoa, God, how, how could he have known that? Is that you speaking to me? And the answer is yes. God of the universe is speaking through a way that is, could otherwise never have been revealed. Wouldn't that make a person sit up and take notice? Paul in verse 24 says, but if all prophesy, he's talking about what's going on in the church, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare, God is really among you. As we think about building the church up in love, wouldn't we want that gift of prophecy? And uh, maybe you say, well, Andrew, it's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? product of the uh, modern charismatic movement, uh, not really recorded in church history. Well, I'd say let's look at Charles Spurgeon. If you don't know uh, Charles Spurgeon, he's called the Prince of Preachers, a 19th century reformed, powerful preacher, one of my gospel heroes. But I only recently found out that Charles Spurgeon clearly had the gift of prophecy. Let me uh, share a few of his own words with you. He said, while preaching in the hall on one occasion, I deliberately pointed to a man in the midst of the crowd and I said, there is a man sitting there who is a shoemaker. 
He keeps his shop open on Sundays. It was open last Sunday morning. He took nine pence and there was four pence profit out of it. His soul is sold to Satan for four pence. Wow, gutsy, C.H. Spurgeon. But Spurgeon goes on to recount how sometime later, one of his co-workers was introduced to a man who was reading one of Spurgeon's sermons. And he asked him, oh, do you know Mr. Spurgeon? Have you heard him? And the man replied, yes, I have every reason to know him. I've been to hear him and under his preaching, by God's grace, I've become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Do you want to hear how it happened? I went to the music hall and I took my seat in the middle of the place. Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me and in his sermon, he pointed to me and he told the congregation that I was a shoemaker and that I kept my shop open on Sundays and I did, sir. I should not have minded that. But he also said that I took nine pence this Sunday before and that there was a fourpence profit out of it. I did take nine pence that day and fourpence was the profit. But how could he know that? I couldn't tell. Then it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. So I shut up my shop the next Sunday and the Lord met me and he saved my soul. Gift of prophecy and evangelism. I, I love apologists, Christian apologists. That means to, just to make a rational defense for the Christian faith. It's rational. That's one of the ways God used to bring me to faith. The evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. The Christian faith is rational. It's logical. It's based on objective fact. And men and women who proclaim that and teach that, God bless them. But the gift of prophecy, exposing the inner heart, showing them the reality of the supernatural power of God, why wouldn't we want that? I love it that Spurgeon says, I could tell as many as a dozen similar cases on which I pointed at someone in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Holy Spirit to say it. Gift of prophecy. No wonder Paul encourages us as a church, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. And this gift of prophecy, friends, is open to all of us. Whatever gifts you may have, this gift is open for you to ask of God that you may receive it. The prophet Joel predicted in the Old Testament, he said, in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And then at the day of Pentecost, Peter said, this is fulfilled The Holy Spirit has come. Sons and daughters were prophesying in the New Testament church. Men and women continue to prophesy in the church today, and so they should. And unlike the gift of teaching, where we're warned in Scripture, not many of you should desire it, because those who teach will be judged more harshly. Very careful warning about teaching. It's never applied to the gift of prophecy. We're told to eagerly, earnestly, desire the gift of prophecy. But I have to say that like any spiritual gift, God gives us supernatural spiritual gifts. He also gives us minds and hearts and a community of people to discern. And it's important to say that like tongues, prophecy can be faked. Like tongues, prophecy can maybe even be directly counterfeited by the devil. And sadly, 
in the church today, some things that masquerade as prophecy are really just a poorly disguised attempt at manipulation or even abuse. If I was to come to you and say, God told me that you need to do this. Well, who am I to, to argue with you? God told you. Now, that's dangerous. In Scripture, in 1 John 4, 1, John tells us to test the spirits, to weigh up what is said. In regard to the gift of prophecy, it needs to be weighed up against Holy Scripture. Does it fit with what the Bible teaches? teaches? Does it fit with the witness of your own heart? The prophetic word may be given from one person to another, but I strongly believe that it should never be acted on unless it is tested in the community, unless uh, some of the, you, you share it with some of the leaders. This is not treating prophecy with contempt. This is treating prophecy with the, the biblical guidelines that were given in Scripture. But it could also be, and this is important, that the person making a prophecy is not a manipulator or is counterfeiter or a faker. They just made a mistake. And you say, hang on, hang on. You know, prophets don't talk about false prophets in the Old Testament. Stone them if they make a mistake. We're not talking about Old Testament prophecy, which is the Word of God. We're talking about the New Testament gift given to the people of God. And like any of the spiritual gifts given to the people of God, I believe that mistakes can be made in their use. Um, in the New Testament, the book of um, Acts, where we see the gift of prophecy really clearly outlined in practice, and we see some wonderful evidences of its youth, like a, use, like I mentioned in Acts chapter 13, we also see some encounters or some examples where it doesn't seem to work out quite right. So let's look at the example of the prophet Agabus. Agabus is mentioned in the book of Acts in accordance with a, a supernatural revelation about an upcoming famine not written in the Word of God, but given to him supernaturally so that he could warn the church who could then be prepared. And the famine came. But later on in the book of Acts, we see Agabus with, with another prophecy that he believed has been given to him by the Word of God. And he comes to Paul and he says, Paul, you can't go to Jerusalem because they're going to bind you. They're going to hand you over. And, and Paul listens to Agabus, he weighs it up. And in the end, he basically ignores him. Not, not perhaps that the prophecy in its content was wrong, but Agabus's application of it was misguided. Prophets, genuine prophets can make mistakes. Uh, I've got an example. My, when my wife, Dana, was a teenager, um, a, a visiting prophet, evangelist, came to their church, and uh, he informed her that he had a prophecy from God about that very sensitive matter about who would she, she would one day marry. And the prophet told her, she can still recount it to this day, that her future husband um, would have blue eyes and light brown hair, but he would be the type that you would never see in a gym. Well, uh, I could kind of take that, a bit of hurtful, really, the gym comment, if that was true. Uh, but the problem is, he also said that she would have three children with this man. Now, we've got five kids. So something was off key with that prophecy. Now, it shouldn't really surprise us. Prophets make mistakes. Everybody using their spiritual gifts make mistakes, uh, which is why, for example, prophets should never say, thus saith the Lord, because you're not an Old Testament prophet if you have that gift. You could be wrong. Uh, prophets should never say, God told me to tell you dot, 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 dot. Rather, someone with the gift of prophecy should say, look, I feel that God was laying on my heart that 
But to write off prophecy because prophets or people who have that gift make a mistake is actually a double standard. We don't apply it to other gifts. Uh, Let me give you an example. I I said I had the gift of teaching. Now, have I ever made a mistake in the use of my gift of teaching? Don't answer. (laughs) Have I ever unintentionally preached heresy in my gift of teaching? Uh, Has my gift of teaching, particularly as early stages, been less than ideal in the way it was applied? Yes, yes, and I'm not the only teacher that has has gone through this. And yet, thankfully, the church doesn't look at me and go, Andrew, you, you made a terrible mistake when you preached this and said that. Therefore, all teaching and all preaching is banned in the church. That would be, a, that would be an unrealistic and un, it, would be an, it just wouldn't be a smart approach. And the same way with prophecy, um, even when prophets, prophets make mistakes, things don't come quite true as a particular prophet who maybe prophesied correctly before prophesies this time. doesn't mean that they should be written off. doesn't mean that we should treat it with contempt. It means we should weigh it. Weigh it and see if God is indeed speaking through it. So that's tongues. That's prophecy. T- two of the more controversial gifts. Give me some credit there. And finally, as we close, what might it look like for, for us and our churches to eagerly desire spiritual gifts? What would it look like to eagerly desire spiritual gifts and especially the gift of prophecy? Now, this is not an easy answer to give either because um, our churches, um, City on a Hill churches, we're in different contexts, we have different situations and, and this needs to be discerned by each local church. But I would love to start with some things I think are generally applicable. Firstly, and I think rather obviously, we should desire spiritual gifts. The Bible blatantly, explicitly says, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. So we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts as part of our obedience to Christ and His Word and His revelation. And therefore, it's something, spiritual gifts are something we shouldn't be scared of or or hide away from. They're something that we should confront, we should teach on, we should encourage people in. We should have the opportunity to, to land on spiritual gifts and explore them, which is exactly what we're doing right now. And this topic of spiritual gifts, rather than fill us with suspicion or fear or skepticism, we should respond to the Father who tells us that all good gifts come from the Father of lights, like a kid with a Christmas present. We should have that kind of eager expectation. The Holy Spirit is with us. You know, that, that your Christian walk is not just reading dusty pages of Holy Scripture. Hear me. Holy Scripture is so, so important, but we're not reading it like a historical process. We are encountering through Holy Scripture a living God who reveals by His Spirit and continues to supernaturally work in His world and in our hearts. We should be excited that God promises to give us Holy Spirit gifts. We should be eagerly expecting them because that means we're not alone. It means in a world of darkness, It means in a world where there's so much opposition, we are not alone. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us, and the same Father to whom He ascended gives spiritual gifts to His people. We should be excited. I hope you're excited. And secondly, and this flows from the first, we need to give opportunities for people with spiritual gifts to use them. All spiritual gifts. You've got the administration, you need need an ability and an opportunity to use it. All spiritual gifts need within the church to be given opportunities and encouragement and honour as they're used for the benefit of the church. Paul said we're a body. 
Every part of the body matters. Whether you've got the gift of prophecy or healing or miracles or you've got the gift of administration or helping people or finances or or generosity, whatever it is, we need you. The church needs you. And it's especially so, as Paul said, with the gift of prophecy. Theologian and pastor Sam Storms says this, and his words are wise and true. As much as Paul loved his brothers and sisters in local churches everywhere, we can rest assured that he would not have made this a focal point of his exhortation were it not for the fact that he believed in its powerful capacity to bring encouragement, instruction, and consolation to Christian lives. Get what he's saying? So I urge you, he says, to resist any temptation to minimize or worse still, to dismiss entirely the spiritual gift of prophecy as if you and your church can get along well enough without it. Paul thought otherwise. So let's give opportunities to people in our church with the gift of prophecy to learn and to grow in the same way we give teachers opportunities to learn and to grow. And if you're in a leadership capacity in any way in our church, I'd encourage you to come to this area humbly. Even if you're unconvinced about about the way that this gift is given or is used today, to come humbly. To give in whatever capacity you lead, whether it's a gospel community or uh, you lead another ministry or some, some kind within your church, just come humbly before God and say, God, we would love to see the gift of prophecy. What would that look like in our gospel community? How can we give permission to that? I'd encourage us as a church, look, we may say, God, please give us the gift of prophecy, and his answer might be no. But let it never be said that we ask not, therefore we have not. Let's ask. And it's my, my conviction that, that this is in Scripture because God wants us to ask and he wants, us, he wants to say yes. Maybe not to me and my request for a gift of prophecy, but maybe to you. He would give that as a yes so the whole community can be built up in love. Now finally, if we take this word of Scripture about spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, seriously, it will come at a cost. Maybe some people would think of, of you or of our church. Oh, man, they've gone, they've gone wacky pinto now. Not interested in the Bible anymore. That's not true. I believe that we come to spiritual gifts with an openness because of the Bible, because it's recorded for us. But it's also true that whenever God moves, whenever God brings refreshment by Spirit, Whenever God's pours a, a, a work, a new work into his people, there's always opposition, and sometimes from within as well as from without. Some people always say, oh, it's just wacky. But that's actually not the greatest cost, in my opinion. I believe the greatest cost in coming to the Holy Spirit and asking for more of his gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, is that we're afraid of losing control. I'll speak to myself. Now, for me, I believe that a well-structured and organized Sunday service is next to godliness in the economy of God. Everyone's got their slot. Everyone's got their time allocation on the run sheet. We all know what to expect. We all know when to wrap up. And how do we decide if if a service was God-honoring and powerful? Well, we stuck to our run sheet and we got through it. 
Now, Paul's going to speak about, and we look at next week, whole sermon, in fact, that things need to be done orderly. There needs to be order, and God's a God of order. Things need to be done orderly and well. But in regard to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we also need to be careful of controlling things. We need to be careful of of refusing to lose control when maybe it's God, the Holy Spirit, that is asking to insert His presence into our church in fresh ways. Not not to teach new things about the Bible or, or try and lead us into heresy, but to bring His presence close to His people again in a fresh way. And sometimes those of us in leadership like me, we want to control. There's a prayer that the early church prayed It was, come, Holy Spirit. That's a dangerous prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Makes me feel afraid about what that actually could mean, about the control that we we might lose. To pray that prayer genuinely certainly means to say that we're no longer charismatics with seatbelts, but they're actually willing to to take off the seatbelt and let God, God the Holy Spirit, do His work in his church. Now, of course, we can choose not to do this. We can choose to keep our control, to hold things tightly. We can insist that God plays by the rules in our rule book. And it is true that a domesticated Holy Spirit will make things a lot safer. Our run sheets will be simpler. Our services will stay on time. But there's a cost in maintaining control too. It's a big cost. I think it's a terrible cost. And my fear at the cost is that if we do that, very rarely will anyone say, surely God is among them. Very rarely will anyone come to experience the supernatural empowering of a God who loves his people, a God who is real, a God who sends his spirit to walk alongside them and who gives them spiritual gifts. So let's pursue love. Let's never forget that. Let's pursue love, first and foremost. Let's come to this topic of spiritual gifts with humility, with gentleness, wanting to go forward together in a spirit of unity and grace. But let's earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, because that's what Scripture tells us to. Amen, Lord. May it indeed be the story of our church, seen on a hill, that as we seek to know Jesus and to make Jesus known, that we would earnestly seek spiritual gifts and especially prophecy. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.